Lauren, 2019 is almost over, and I, I just I hope you're really excited because I feel like we're seeing a new trend in media, and I'm really excited about it. Is it more reboots? I think I think we're in a golden age of one for the boys. Okay, now finally, after so long, men are being catered to in in media. Okay, so I don't know if you saw. There's a new Ghostbusters trailer. Uh, now, no more girls in the proton packs. You might not know this, but originally it was for men, and it was like a goofy comedy. And now we're taking it very seriously because this trailer wants the audience to know how seriously their feelings are. I'm uh, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried that the people at home don't know that you're doing a bit. Well, well they hold don't... on, though. You don't. You haven't even heard the next best part. Oh, okay. So Go there's, ahead. There's this new movie coming out today called Rise of the Skywalker. Now, this really seems like one for the boys. It, from all the reviews I read, it really seems like this is a movie that is validating all of the hurt feelings of men who were worried that Ray might be the new face of Star Wars. Oh, I'm how really great excited. for you. I'm so happy for but you. Hold on. this uh, That's not even the very best part yet. So remember how we talked about how Kevin Smith was doing a He-Man series? Yeah. Well, there's actually even another one coming because since girls got She-Ra first this time, it's only fair that boys get two He-Men. Great. I'm thrilled for <laughs> cis white men all over who have been oppressed for far too long. Now, can we please tell the audience we're doing a bit? Because it's really making me uncomfortable, and I'm sitting right here, and I know you. 2020 is a year for the boys, baby. <laughs> I'm going to crack a cold one open with the boys. Listen, <laughs> I did it. That's like a canned wine? It is. Welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren, and as was just revealed, I am double-fisting canned wine, but also airborne. It's a weird day. My name's Eric, and this show's one for the boys, baby. <laughs> it is. There are two boys in the studio, I, which we'll get to in a second. I'm drinking water, single-fisting. You know, like a probably a responsible podcast host. Eh, you know, it's fine. I've been seeing someone lately who doesn't drink, and it's really, like, making me healthier and she's also a vegetarian which like makes me think about what I'm eating more it's it's a good sign oh my partner's a vegetarian also and uh contrary to that yesterday I probably could have invited them over to my house but I wanted to make myself two steaks and so I just let <laughs> them steaks? stay at home and I cooked two steaks Lauren really had a dinner for the boys <laughs> a dinner for the boys <laughs> <laughs> and you watched the new Ghostbusters trailer on repeat and you were like I'm so glad Leslie Jones isn't in this movie <laughs> I did I did text you about the new He-Man and I texted you in like caps and like several spaces between the letters just why though and you never answered me oh i've been so busy this week i ate lunch in my car twice so that's me um yeah i mean i don't know i'm probably being flippant i actually i've come around to thinking that the kevin smith he-man is going to be pretty sweet it's just why two why do we need to i don't get it i'd like to be optimistic and say that she-ra did so well that now they see this as like a profitable franchise and there's going to be toys and crossovers and Christmas specials. But the pessimist in me does go the like political route and just thinks it's for the boys. Right, because remember how you were like, uh, people were complaining there wasn't a He-Man this time and you were like, every time they've tried to reboot the franchise, they've started with He-Man and finally they let She-Ra lead the way. And it almost is like disrespectful that now there's like well since we started with She-Ra here's two He-Men so you don't have to think too hard about She-Ra 
Yeah, let's drown her out. I, this makes me hope even more that she's in the Kevin Smith series. That would be great. See, I, I actually thought maybe she'd be in the animated, the, the second animated one, the, the, new, the new announced Netflix one, because maybe she wasn't going to be in the first one, and this is where we get to cross over. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Some of the DreamWorks animators are working on it. Oh, well, that's great. I wish you all success. I'm just being flip and... Uh, just noticing, noticing things about boys. Yeah, it's not, it's not by DreamWorks, but I know there's like people from that animation crew over pa- there. So. Past podcast guest Logan Dean texted me the news before you did, which was another reason I didn't uh, respond to you. But <laughs> you said, can only respond to one person, so, and that's it. That's right. He, uh, he pointed out that on the poster, the logo for the t- production company is Mattel Television, and he said... It should be Metellivision. And then I got so mad that it wasn't Oh, that is a missed opportunity, a big missed opportunity. <laughs> Let's introduce our guest who's kindly listening to us talk about He-Man. Yeah, you may or may not have just heard him laugh, so we might as well bring him into the conversation for real. Uh, today we have with us uh, a friend of both of ours, Eric Skull. He is a podcast host and editor, and I'm sure you've heard some of the shows that he's involved in, but I'll let that speak for itself. Hello, Eric. How are you today? Hello, Lauren and Eric. I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. This is going to be a big challenge because you're both named Eric, (sighs) and I hope every time we get confused, Eric G just doesn't edit it out and lets me flounder. I look forward to it. Which one is Eric G? (laughs) Well, well, you. But you just said that Eric is a podcast editor. (laughs) So are you? Oh, no. <laughs> anyway. Ooh, ooh. Can I be Eric G today? I'm going to be Eric G. <laughs> okay. Shows one for the boys. <laughs> one for the boys. Just put me in a corner. Anyway, sure, sure, you can be uh, Eric G. So let's ask Eric G about the podcasts that he's a part of. Well, so I started out with this show called The Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories. Okay. Great show. It is. <laughs> <laughs> One for the boys. How about Eric Skull? Why don't you tell us uh, some of your most recent or proudest projects? Yeah, so, uh, well, most recently, so the last time I was in this building was for the final uh, airing of the episode, final episode of Improvised Star Trek, which went out just about a month ago. But uh, that podcast I'd been associated with since 2014 as editor and co-producer of their episodes as well as the live uh, runs that they would do here in Chicago. But just an amazing team of people that were able to say goodbye to what had been over 10 years of work at that point um, and really just kind of do a proper send-off with some of the closest uh, fans who happen to live in the Chicago area. But uh, but that podcast is still and will be still online indefinitely. Um, there will just be no new episodes. So if anybody has not heard of it or, uh, you know, is interested in a improvised space comedy, you do not need to know about Star Trek to enjoy it. I mean, I still feel like we have the same pitch for it, whether it's on or not. <laughs> Regularly is like, it's an amazing show that I think deserves the largest audience possible uh, in, in perpetuity. Uh, so there's that. But then uh, my longest running podcast endeavor has been uh, to, as a co-host on the Harry Potter podcast MuggleCast, which started in August of 2005. Wow. So you've been doing one podcast for 14 years. That's right. Many of the most like 
uh, formative podcasts in the in the medium did not exist when MuggleCast started. That's incredible. There were, yeah, just a few, and and basically, um, it was 2005 was right when Steve Jobs did his Apple keynote introducing the podcast directory of like iTunes podcast directory. So it was all through RSS feeds before then. Like you pretty much had to just find it on your own. You had to find RSS feeds, as far as I'm wow. aware. And uh, and it was crazy, but this was back in the t- this was before social media. This was back when uh, iPads had scroll wheels. But this um, is affiliated with MuggleNet, right? MuggleCast uh, started as a MuggleNet podcast, but has since branched out uh, years ago. Sure, I just mean I remember how popular that website was, yes. and so if you were checking that website religiously, like I was, that might have been a way to discover the podcast even before podcasts were cool. Definitely, it was basically before podcast networks and before. Or, um, you know, really advertising existed for podcasts. Uh, it definitely benefited the show to have a backing uh, of such a well-trafficked site to see what was going on with the latest episodes. Um, so it was, it was kind of built in. But what made that show, I think, special was uh, our audience was the same age as the hosts at the time. Uh, we were still teenagers. We were getting the Harry Potter books for the first time and discussing them live. Like before all the books were out, it was a highly speculative what is going to happen kind of a thing. And it was, you know, really taught uh, me at a young age too, like how to do literary criticism or how to do critical thinking or how to podcast. So when you launched the show – we were on the eve of what the sixth Harry Potter book. Uh, the sixth book had just come out. Okay, like within a month of the first episode of Muggle. Incredible. Well, what's extra fun is that Eric, Harry Potter Eric, and I learned. We learned that we were in the same place at the same time. We just hadn't met yet. Yes, those book launches uh, happened in Oak Park, Illinois, mm-hmm. and Oak Park did this amazing, massive, like one of the biggest in the United States festivals where all of the buildings downtown would turn into various locations from the books. Some of the local mansions became portions of, uh, of Hogwarts. There was a bank that turned into Gringotts. There was a church that turned into Azkaban, which I find very <laughs> funny. And I was one of the actors there. I was Narcissa Malfoy, Amazing. but we hadn't known each other yet, but you were around. It's just so, and that was my, my first time ever coming to Chicago, because I grew up in eastern PA. Um, Pennsylvania for uh, international listeners. And uh, I wanted to really just have a great time. But what I found was so many people and so many businesses participated, as you mentioned, in making the day and making the event so special. And that is something that has always stuck with me since, you know, 16 years now it's been. And I always, I can't drive down Oak Park Avenue without like getting misty about just how cool it was of an evening. I agree. It, I mean, frankly, one of the best nights of my life, both years I did it, because it really changed my perspective on cosplay. Mm. A younger version of me wanted to make screen-accurate, elaborate, visually stunning and complex cosplay. And that event made me change my mind and believe that the most fun part about it was like entertaining others and instilling a sense of whimsy and wonder in others and just role playing. My Narcissa Malfoy costume was not based on anything. She wasn't in the movies yet. So it was just an idea from my mind. And it was all about the stance and the the snide comments to children and it wasn't about did I know how to make armor or not. <laughs> no, that's I think that's really profound and it's and it's absolutely I think my understanding as well of of cosplay of what it can be. 
uh, is just and, – and in most cases is. You know, you'll have like a local library event where somebody will come and be dressed up and, and children aren't as – Skeptical, and they aren't as exclusionary, and they aren't as awful as adults are at, at that sort of thing. No child is going to—I mean, unless they're a really precocious child—going to tell you that your 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 character is not accurate. Um, you know, and it, and especially personality wins out a hundred percent of the time. Your storytelling is what you're doing, and who doesn't like to be read a story? So we're talking about like the positive, like life affirming aspects of Harry Potter fandom, which is important to establish before we go into this next thing. Oh, yeah, gosh. only because this happened literally today. We're like the <laughs> South Park of political Shira podcasts, in that we're very timely. I mean, we're the everything of Shira political podcasts. Yeah, but in this case, we're the South Park because this just happened, and we're going to talk about it. Um, so J.K. Rowling kind of puts the problem and the term problematic fave um, <laughs> kind of very brazenly for the first time, although many suspected it today came out as a... Oh, yeah. I don't know about the first time, but I, I take your point. The, yeah, the most direct yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree. vocalizing of her, like, not believing that trans women are women. Like, so she she's what they call a TERF, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Yeah, well, it's to shocking. be specific, she's citing a case that happened in which a woman was fired from her job for transphobic tweets. So a woman who was not JK tweeted and said, uh, men can't transform into women and was fired from her job. This woman took legal action and a judge decided that was not protected speech in the context that you used it because that speech went against human rights. You don't you don't get to get your job back. That's it. And that judge's decision is what caused a lot of the pushback and what caused JK to tweet. And you know, I have very complex feelings about not trans rights, because definitely trans rights, obviously trans rights are human rights. But, you know, getting fired for your social media use. Um, I've been in trouble for my social media before. The problem I have here is that uh, J.K. Rowling cannot escape her status as the author of Harry Potter and this massive um, cultural icon who gets to sort of set the dialogue that fandom is discussing and using her voice and her platform to say something that I find transphobic, I just think is despicable and, and not what she should be using her voice for. And why does she need to comment on it at all? At all, She's yeah. She's a billionaire, right? Well, <laughs> yes. and But furthermore, this was the first time that J.K. Rowling tweeted in months. J.K. Rowling has actually been, I would say, I joked, missing from the internet for, for months now. And chose this as the inspiration. And I cannot think of anything more just ill-advised or more 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 hurtful or harmful that she could have come back with other than this. This is absolutely and – and it was mentioned that this was sort of suspected before. She has a history. There have been a few articles that you can search up from a couple years ago. But she has a history of either following other uh, TERFs, other, other people who hold these views or and, and liking their tweets uh, as well about uh, trans women being men in dresses. She liked a tweet a couple years ago that said that. And people have really, especially trans women – over the years have really been picking up these pieces and the puzzle pieces and really coming out with this narrative that, like, J.K. Rowling is probably a turf and we should probably be really, really concerned about this. Um, because ultimately she has this reach and she has this audience and she has this built-in 
fan base that I think even myself included for quite some time idolized her. And not to mention these views run contrary to what a lot of us believe uh, is evident in her work. Um, and that's the other shocking thing, although at this point I guess I shouldn't be shocked. I'm one of the kids who rereads uh, Ender's Game and like the sequels, uh, the direct Ender sequels every year. But Orson Scott Card has come out against gay people very openly and claiming it on religious grounds and all these other stuff. But I still think those books are some of the most humanist, <coughs> humanist, understanding, empathetic books about the human condition. A character changes his body from being a handicapped one to a perfectly new normal one. And there's tons of intergender stuff as well in those books. But he feels the way he does. And J.K. Rowling, for her to have things like Polyjuice Potion in the Harry Potter books, which allow characters, you know, without any real repercussions to change gender, something transgender people would love to be able to do, uh, you know, to be able to finally feel affirmed in their body and not feel dysphoric at all. Uh, the fact that J.K. Rowling would create this and then also come out and say this sort of thing is impossible just rubs people the wrong freaking way. And I completely understand this. It's, it's always sad and upsetting to see your idol or somebody who you believe to be progressive to not be as progressive or as perfect as you thought they were. There's definitely some death of the author going on too where people are like we want to preserve the work because it stands for itself and our opinions you know, are different. But it, it genuinely hurts me and there's a mark now on Harry Potter when I say to myself, these particular beliefs run completely contrary to my own and I can't agree with her. I, I think about the art artist separation a lot. I don't know if, whether we've talked about it on the show this much, but like just earlier this week, I was um, listening back to all my favorite like songs of the decade, and a Ryan Adams song came up, and I'm like, damn, this song's incredible. But then I'm like, wait a minute, though. Ryan Adams is a total piece of shit, and I can't <laughs> put it on my best of the decade list, which is has zero consequence. I'm not pretending that it does. But like I had to make an active choice to be like, no, I'm not going to listen to him anymore. And I, there's this weird kind of like balancing act between like the impact of the work and like the heinousness of what the person did, right? Like, and I'll never delete Thriller from my iTunes. I just can't because I don't think you can extract Michael Jackson from pop culture. I don't think you can extract Harry Potter from pop culture. But I think you have to. You're right. It is this. It's a dark mark, right? You you'll never not recognize that there is something sinister behind this art. I, I'm especially shocked when it's uh, – Eric S. was already on this a little bit that it's a fantasy magical world where literally anything can happen. And when those are the authors that like turn out to be bigots, I'm just even more shocked. And maybe I shouldn't be. But it's you know a world in which we have Star Wars coming out and there can be spaceships and aliens of all different shapes and sizes and color – but, you know, heaven forbid Finn and Poe Dameron got together. Like, heaven forbid we had gay people in this sci-fi universe where <laughs> literally anything could be. Oh, and apparently there is a gay kiss in the new movie. Uh, it's super revolutionary were it not for the fact that it's not the main characters that you just mentioned. Right. Well, that's, I mean, it's always relegated to the background. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll give you representation, 
but not in our main cast. I think Star Trek did that with uh, Sulu or something. They showed his husband and child in the latest, uh, in the Beyond, was it? Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly. That's right. These little, these little trinkets of inclusion, but it's, it's, it's soulless. It's, it's, it's hurtful. It's harmful. It's gay baiting. It's, it's trans baiting. It's a ton of just unfortunate behavior on the part of these studios who are not I think they're not accepting us fast enough. Here's the thing is, you know, if Hollywood really is so progressive uh, or if these corporations really have um, these communities at heart, they should be working twice as hard uh, to combat sort of this presidential administration, for instance, is uh, complete opposite, you know, direction, is complete opposite momentum on uh, banning gays from the military, banning these people from society, co- you know, creating more of a divide and and showing how they're more outcasts. Like, these movies should be representing us at an alarming rate, mm-hmm. and they're not. Right. I mean, it's really fortuitous that we're on a podcast talking about She-Ra, which is one of the most positive shows for representation I can think of. My God. I mean, having just watched it and the episode we'll be talking about, I was blown away by the representation or by the by the... Sheer limited number of uh, masculine uh, uh, appearing um, characters. And I was just blown away. I'm like, there's 20 characters in this episode. And like four of them are 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 are, are male presenting. And I'm just like, I, I love all of this. this is this is fantastic. So I guess this is where we're at in the conversation. I learned right as you walked in the door that you've never watched this before. So uh, no Shira whatsoever, right? That's correct. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> it's like I knew you guys had this podcast, and I always retweet and want to be, like be here to support. But I have not watched the show, and I have not watched the podcast. Listen to the podcast. Yeah, I, I had a huge um, fun time just watching the the brief. Mer, Mer Mysteries episode. <laughs> and it is very tropey. Like I was saying before we yeah. started, if you've ever seen a whodunit or you know anything about sort of detective archetypes, there's something to like in this episode. So before we get any further, Eric, uh, G, do you have a summary for us? So this is Mer Mysteries, as as was said. It's um it's Rashomon. And what, what, that, what that means is it's... Uh, it's an episode where one event is analyzed through different characters' perspectives. The twist is that this is the culmination of the Double Trouble spy arc because Double Trouble is messing with everybody. Uh, essentially, all of our heroes are trying to free Drill from the Horde, and they're split into three squads. And Double Trouble is running between each squad, messing with their plans by pretending to be other people and giving wrong signals and just kind of getting our heroes trapped and in a, in a bad way. So... Uh, the episode opens where they've they've all lost and they've regrouped at the palace to try to figure out what went wrong. And through flashbacks, they pretty quickly realize there's a horde spy. Um, they fight and they interrogate everybody. And uh, kind of, I think, just because uh, Flutterina has been so suspicious and so cloying and, and almost too careful, um, Glimmer and Adora finally realize, hey, something's up with Flutterina. So they pretend fight to catch Flutterina in the act and Glimmer's magic reveals Flutterina to in fact be double trouble. Um, unfortunately, another pop culture reference, there's this uh, Watchmen twist moment at the end where double trouble's whole goal was to distract everyone long enough for the Horde to accomplish their nefarious plan, <sighs> which was for Catra to uh, upgrade Hordak with his classic arm cannon and uh, destroy Mermista's home. 
and begins the Horde's conquest of Etheria. So the episode switches from, like, this interesting, very writerly, like, almost comic kind of what really happened uh, comedy of errors slash detective movie and ends up uh, with, like, a massacre of Mermista's people and this really uh, dark, foreboding sense of what is to come. Yeah, that down note, that was such a surprise to me in the last, the closing minutes of the episode. It's one of the darker moments of, I would say, the entire series, not just the season, to see Selenius just burning. When when Glimmer runs up the cliffside at the end uh, to the sight of a horde flag billowing in front of her, that was like... That was really something. It, it, it is shocking. You, Especially because this episode offers a lot of glimpses of hope. Like there's been a thread throughout the season of Glimmer and Adora kind of being at each other's throats. And you think yeah. they finally reconciled here. And then the end really throws it all into doubt. Yeah. Yeah, oh. she says some line about how they're never going to let this happen again. And I think it says a lot about the gravity of this episode that I didn't believe her. I was like, you don't have the tools. Like you didn't, <laughs> you, you didn't get drilled back. Now Selenius is gone. Are you sure? I think you might actually be losing. It felt quite terrible. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, I think I saw the corpse of like a mermaid floating in the in the water there. I was like, man, this this show gets pretty graphic. Yeah, it's uh it juggles tones really well. I feel like I say that a lot, but I think it's consistently true that this show is very good at at giving you highs and lows. Like Mermista in this episode, very funny. Like her her uh insistence that she knows how to investigate a crime because she loves a series of novels is very funny. Oh, yeah. And Perfuma, like, simultaneously taking notes on how to interrogate, but also what saucy books she wants to read later is so adorable. Yeah. Uh, Mermissa gets a lot of great lines where every time she says something dramatic, the thunder will crash and someone asks, how do you do that? And she goes, I practice at home. Is I mean, legitimately, is that... I guess we're not going to see that power come back. I get that it's a bit, but I would love for lightning powers to come back in a battle. Like if that was a sort of long arc uh, Chekhov's gun sort of thing. It's probably just a joke, though. It's just, yeah, this episode really seemed to me to be so um, standalone and so bubble because of because of what it's it being a send up of like it, it basically felt like Clue. It felt like it felt like a, a farce and it yeah. felt like absolute commentary on the whodunit trope and a parody of that uh, in such a way. But it still, I think, managed to advance uh, several character um, points and beats, and I just loved how many people were talking about their feelings the whole time. Tell oh, me poor, about it. poor Bo, <laughs> wondering oh. if he was the yeah. the mole. Well, he's convinced that he is. He's like, I'm probably the spy. It was an accident. Like, oh, Bo, my sweet Bo. <laughs> I also enjoyed seeing other minor characters. Um, that have joined the rebellion. Like some of Perfuma's people, I guess, are just around all the time now. They're with the group. Mm. And the palace guards uh, from Bright Moon, I really like their design. I don't know if the one character ever gets a name, but she keeps coming back. The one who's also into the novels? Yeah. Yeah. I thought the uh, the flashback devices were interesting. They Every time the show uses jazz music, I'm like, oh, it's like Cowboy Bebop. I don't know <laughs> if that's true, but the flashbacks felt like Cowboy Bebop. They were, like, kind of stylized and, like, cool, especially, like, Seahawks. He was also a great source of comedy in this episode. 
Seahawks. Oh, did you hear he killed? He, he knocked out like three hundred men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I heard it was like four hundred. <laughs> oh, I'm saying you know it changes every time he talks about yeah. it. You, <laughs> I, my favorite exchange I think is you hit like one guy. Yes, exactly. I hit one hundred guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as the resident, like. Down, down, not down for Seahawk. Let's just say Seahawk's not my favorite. <laughs> He's my partner's favorite, which is really hard. <laughs> um, I, I was very interested in seeing him have a breakdown at the end over his own lies. Like it actually kind of emotionally caught up with him. And that was a fun, if heart-rending, note for Seahawk. But he also really wanted to do squats. That's true. The animation of him like getting pushed out the door mid squat, it's very anime. Yeah. Yeah, lots of anime. Also when he sees Mermista in the flashback and she's like glim- glistening. Yeah, he loves her so much. Yeah. Uh, speaking of representation, am I correct that Spinnerella and Natasa were getting married in this episode? Was that them? The, I yes. For like a split second. Whoa. They're getting interrupted, and they're standing there, and they have, like, flowers and stuff. And I feel like what I was supposed to get from that moment was that we interrupted their wedding. Which then none of the other characters went to. Or they maybe weren't invited. <laughs> that, like, oh. it, I just have so many questions. It's like a throwaway literally half a second. Huh. And it opens up so much real estate for me about... Were were they not married before? Were the were they doing it at Bright Moon? Were these people not invited? We we yeah. already talked about their relationship pretty extensively, and this made it all the more mysterious to me. <laughs> I hope their big day happened. I hope so too. Uh, speaking of mysterious, so the big double trouble reveal it came earlier in the season than I thought it would, but I think the Flood Arena uh, ruse couldn't didn't have maybe many more legs. Like no, it was bound to run out. I agree. We've we've talked about Flutterina. I find Flutterina very hard to watch, and I I get that it's like an anime trope. The sugary like chibi girl is definitely a thing that you see in cartoons, but I just personally find it quite obnoxious. And for kids at home, I think the whole double trouble thing is really played to the hilt. Like she's constantly blinking with Double Trouble's eyes and you constantly hear Double Trouble themselves kind of saying things like you're so good and seen and I'm just like someone's gotta catch them and soon and so I'm, I'm glad we did it. Please call me Double Trouble. You're a shapeshifter. <gasps> it wasn't my goggles glitching. It was you pretending to be Frost at Drill. And Perfuma, don't shortchange my credits, darling. Well, Eric did mention Shadow Weaver. Yes. Do we want to touch on her at all? Always. Because she does help the the good guys in this one. She's the one who encourages them to set a trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like Shadow Weaver a lot, um, just from the, the passing bits in this episode. But there's always that kind of feeling of, am I a prisoner? Am I my own agent? Like... It reminds me a lot of Severus Snape in the Harry Potter books. Uh, everybody suspects Snape, and he has to live in the school knowing that everybody suspects he, and, and then he has to prove himself to everyone at all times. Granted, as a character, he's not a role model at all. Uh, he absolutely 
relishes uh, sort of everyone's hatred of him and makes everyone, every student's life a living hell whenever he can. But it's that same sort of double agent role of, and also there's something um, almost like uh, you're a captive, but you end up having some power over your captors. Yeah, I, I think Snape is a really apt comparison because Snape has this soft spot from the past for Lily and... Shadow Weaver definitely has the soft spot for Glimmer's father and their whole family. Maybe even more so than Adora. Like the the strength of the bond between Micah and Shadow Weaver, I think, is way more significant and full of trust than anyone she had since him. I think another one of my favorite lines from the episode came out of this exchange too, which is because Adora clearly hates Shadow Weaver being around, and she says something like, Well, to catch the spy, first you have to admit that you're the spy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling us you really didn't know anything about the plan to retake Drill? Really? Not a bit. I've been busy with my garden. She's always been paranoid like this, you know. <laughs> so I feel like this episode really feels like a mid-season finale. And if you look at the number, it's episode 7 of 13. So that does kind of make sense. That tracks. Right? It just feels like such a a huge hit to end the the um, the story on. Like, if Netflix had decided to divide the season into two, I feel like this is what they would have left us to sit on for a few months. Definitely. That might actually be true because this would be a great place to split up a season and maybe they didn't know at some point if they were going to or not. Yeah, but especially with the tease of, I mean, I I think it's safe to uh, say that we know who that is at the end if we've been watching so far. That that's probably Horde Prime. Uh, With that tease, like, Glimmer says, we're ready for whatever the Horde throws at us next and then cut to, like, a green Horde act. Like, what? Okay. Yeah, well... Absolutely, it's it's Horde Prime. I think it's clear. I don't think it's supposed to be a mystery. I don't want to get in trouble again. I know. Now we're now oh, we're worried, guys. You should always be concerned for that. Absolutely, hundred percent. But uh, I would have very much. In, I don't know if enjoyed, but certainly participated in like a month off where we all were going to speculate about the next thing. Didn't happen. Yeah, yeah it's just such a solid, serious note to end on of like, oh shit, Hordax got his cannon arm, and they blew up a village, and the Horde controls the seas, and oh no, like, what's gonna happen? Speaking of cannon arm, are we gonna get Hordak toys, or what? I know, the licensing for this, I mean, I'm glad they gave us Shadow Weaver in the first wave, that's huge, but... Yeah, well, I was just thinking about those action figures, because I have my my She-Ra and my Catra, but then they went over to the dolls... And there haven't really been any more action figures. I was just hanging out at Walgreens a couple of days ago. I saw all this spirit riding free stuff. And I'm like, DreamWorks, you clearly make toys. More toys. Want more toys. I bet actually Hordak is a rights thing in the same way that Tim Seeley thought that they couldn't use Masters of the Universe figures without special permission. I bet they can't make toys of figures that were in the Masters line. Uh, I mean, I I could see that being the truth, but also, why give a character a gun arm if you weren't gonna <laughs> go ahead and? You weren't gonna. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bigger question than this podcast can answer. This what is, that's just what I want to speculate about for the rest of the evening. <laughs>
earlier in our discussion, Eric did mention the current administration. Which one? Well, Eric S., but you're always talking about the current administration, too. No, so which administration? The Trump administration. God, Eric, why are you doing this? Why are you mad at Eric? One of the two Eric's was one is of the being two difficult. Eric's is being is, difficult. Yeah. And one of the two Eric's was trying to talk politics. And I'm not going to say which is which. You told me this was a politic podcast. It is. And uh, definitely talking about J.K. Rowling was part of it. But we would be dropping a huge ball if we didn't mention before we go that Donald Trump has been impeached. Uh, For our international listeners, that doesn't mean he has to leave office. (laughs) For our international listeners or the two just out of college young women I was sitting next to at dinner last night. Oh, my gosh. Shots fired towards these strangers in a cafe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I, they were looking on Twitter and one was like, oh, my God, Donald Trump's impeached. And then the other one didn't believe them. So they were like, let me call m- our smarter friend. And then their smarter friend was like, yeah, but look, he has to go through trial in the Senate and they probably yeah. won't remove him. He, uh, he not only does not have to be removed, but he's still eligible for reelection at this point. Yeah. So point the first, um, you know, Merry Christmas to us. Merry impeachment. Mm. Merry everything. Impeachment. Mm. Yeah. Merry impeachment. This was an important step. This does, I think, restore, at least maybe on the international stage, some credibility to the idea that not everyone in America is behind this guy. We don't all want this. Oh, my God. I will say uh, very disappointed that not a single Republican broke party lines. The entire party is supporting this. And if you listen to those arguments, which went on for six hours yesterday, they were ridiculous. Donkulously spoil like conspiracy theory and and pre rehearsed It was just god awful. Well, it was a lot of like you're doing this because you hate Donald Trump. It's personal, and I I don't think it's personal. I think we're allowed to have personal opinions about the president and then also separately investigate whether or not they committed crimes. The flip side of that would be the only person who can hold you accountable is someone who likes you. And if that's true, nobody on the earth would ever get in trouble for anything. That makes no sense. (laughs) Also, special shout out to Democratic uh, candidate for president, Tulsi Gabbard, who voted present Present. on impeachment instead of yes. So anyway, just to clarify, the House now has to pass their documents on to the Senate and the Senate will hold a trial. The trial decides whether or not Donald Trump is removed from office. We have Mitch McConnell, who has already said he will not be impartial. And uh, to my knowledge, the White House like wants to rush this through, I think because while people are in this delirious haze and the Republicans are a united front. I think they just want to push the trial through and let Donald Trump stay in the seat. So uh, it makes sense to me that Pelosi is trying to slow things down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but that said, it's, it shocks me that there are people. It doesn't shock me that not everyone understands impeachment. But Bill Clinton was also in our lifetime. And Bill Clinton didn't have to leave office either. Like we saw that happen. Mm-hmm. So you would think we would remember but that's not always the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm remembering that correctly, right? He got to stay. Yeah, yeah he did. He yeah. stayed. But he was also second term and Trump is first, so he didn't have to deal with re-election. It's, yeah. It's wild that I, I'm stealing this from a tweet, but someone was like, two presidents have been impeached in our lifetime and they both flew on Jeffrey Epstein's private plane. <laughs> Ew. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> this is me really trying to reinforce the fact that it's not personal because I think Bill Clinton and Donald Trump 
are both pervs who both need to be held accountable for what they've done. And I don't care what party I'm a part of. If you're a gross criminal, you're a gross criminal. But this this impeachment was super important because it does, in a way, officially censure the president in a way that his own party was never going to. Right, yeah. I'm on very much on the train of even if practically nothing comes of it, it's an important gesture. Yeah. I do want to put on the record that I'm terrified of a President Pence. I'm terrified of a president who is like pro-gay uh, reformation camps and will not be alone in the room with a woman who's not his wife. Like, what yeah. do you think of... 50% plus of the nation if you can't be alone with women. There are entire countries run by women. Like, what would you do on the, the international stage? The the ugly truth, though, here is that it actually, even Trump's election has nothing to do with Trump and more of his power to uh, put judges on courts. And uh, the Supreme, or the, um, sorry, the Senate today, or yesterday, I think it was, pushed through another 15 candidates that were judicially, judicial appointees by Trump uh, to sit on federal courts. And those appointments are for life. And these are the people that that even even many of them historically recently have had the American bar say that they were unqualified candidates right. and they're being confirmed to lifelong appointment seats and this is a problem because those tiny little abortion cases that uh, buck and and buck the trend and, and try and try and get uh, Roe v Wade overturned like the ones that are coming up to the Supreme Court in the new year God what a year is ahead of us um, all start at these courts where these judges exercise, their progr- uh, conservative opinions. I agree with that entirely, and I have a lot of fear and reservation about that because, you know, just we got we have these judges in seats. We have national parks being opened up and drilled into. God. Just the amount of damage that I think is going to last long after Trump is, I think bigger than we can imagine. But I sure wish we had done this as a nation a year ago, because at this point, I don't know how some of these wounds are going to close. I agree. But Republicans controlled the government and still do to some extent. It wasn't until 2018 we could even fight back or begin to start with those elections and Democrats gaining the majority in the House. And that does seem to be the theme that our podcast comes back to is we have to keep fighting. Um, Those atrocities did result in at least a small blue wave. (laughs) And I think we have more power than we believe we do in a world where we've seen so much Republican uh, initiative for so long. I don't want us as a nation to be traumatized out of voting or fighting back because it's been so bad for so long. And that's why, you know, to take it back to the topic... A show like She-Ra is so important. It reminds us what we can do. It was so wonderfully cathartic. In a way, I wasn't expecting to watch an episode where women are talking about their feelings to each other and they're being listened to by one another and going out and, yeah, failing, but they're allowed to fail. Failing doesn't make them less heroes uh, than they were before. And I think that that's such an important lesson among many that you could extrapolate from just this one episode. Yeah, I love that. We've maybe failed for a while as a country and as a people, but we don't have to keep doing it, and it doesn't make us less for having a bad run. This won't happen again. I won't let it. We won't give up. 
We will take back Seledius. Take back all of Etheria. No matter what it costs. Eric, thank you so much for coming in today. Hey, thanks, Eric. Uh, thank you, Lauren. Yes, thank you for this episode for the boys. <laughs> for the boys. Uh, <laughs> can you tell all the boys and, and non-boys out there where they can find you? If they Especially like the non-boys who have tolerated the last hour. <laughs> I know that uh, in the beginning of the new year, we're going to have another MuggleCast episode. Uh, we are a weekly Harry Potter podcast, and so I know that we're going to be talking more about the J.K. Rowling stuff, specifically her comments, how unfortunate they are. Um, and that's a weekly podcast. That's the thing I do most uh, most often now, and that's where you can find me or on Twitter at Spielerman, S-P-I-E-L-E-R-M-A-N. And that's where I just retweet a bunch of smarter people uh, okay. con- uh, talking about all of these politics and things. Uh, I don't often get an opportunity to say kind of my own political beliefs, so I also really appreciate the uh, outlet, the soapbox here. Oh, hell yeah, man. Thank you for being here. Thanks, I guess, Lauren, even though this was one for the boys. I <laughs> thanks, guess. <laughs> thanks for watching She-Ra for us. Yeah, oh, hell for yeah. Sure. Uh, anytime. I'm gonna, I think this would. This is a show. This is going on my list. I'll tell you that. Well, when you get through the rest of the season, uh, we can talk about all the spoilery things that we weren't going to talk about today. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show... You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.